So welcome to another episode of Putting the Pieces Together with Jigsaw Learning. I'm here today with Lana Nog, who you've met before in one of our previous episodes, and Kathleen Robertson, a learning associate with Jigsaw Learning. So we know that Lana's background is at the district leadership and school leadership levels, and she has immense experience with inclusive education. And Kathleen brings to the team a well-rounded experience through literacy from both the classroom and a learning coach level. So welcome to you both today, ladies. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. Let's start with our conversation here. We're talking about reestablishing classroom structures and expectations as we go back to school and building in those responsive classroom environments. But we're talking about reestablishing, and this may be the first wording that we need to take a look at because there may be some that are wondering, well, weren't those expectations and structures already in place? Or how do we reestablish structures that were never there before COVID? So I'll give you guys a chance to talk about that. Well, as we're thinking about moving into the fall, uh, there are many unknowns, uh, both for district personnel, school leaders, parents, students. And as Kathleen and I have been reflecting upon um, how we can support educators moving into the fall, we've really uh, considered what do we already know? What are we already familiar with in some of our structures, some of our processes and expectations? And so we've really thought about how we can connect the familiar and find some commonalities with what maybe we are not too sure about. And so um, it could be some of uh, how we enter the school, um, how we're organizing our daily schedule, how we are organizing our staffs, for example, and, and who comes into the building, who does not, at what times do they come in and so forth. So we're really considering how we can ground people in some of the familiarities that they're used to participating as they move into the fall, combined with preparing for some of those unknowns that we're going to experience. Kathleen? Lana, I completely am 100% on board with what you said. Uh, what I would add too is that when we consider that students will be at some point transitioning back into the classroom full time um, with regards to those commonalities, how can we make that transition smoother and easier when we're looking at going from an online or blended environment, which is uh, what many people are assuming right now, although, like Lana said, we actually don't know, to going back full time. How can we find those commonalities to make that process smoother for students and teachers? So um, when we're teaching about that, you know, we can approach it just in the same way um, as we normally would in a classroom by having those clear outcomes in mind. So, for example, if there's a certain structure that we traditionally have in our classroom, if we think ahead of time, like what will that look like? when it's fully enacted and then breaking that down into smaller pieces and then teaching strategically towards that. So then we have those pieces of that structure in place. Then when we move back into the classroom, there'll be pieces that can still carry over. I think back to my time in a classroom and somebody laughed at me once for teaching students how to get a pencil and paper from the drawer. So when you think about reestablishing that culture of, of how we respect one another as learners, what do you see as the biggest considerations going into next year? 
I think that the biggest thing that we need to consider is the mental health of our teachers, families, and students. Um, considering what has been happening recently, we know that there's been a, a attachment that's been disruptive. There's increased stress in the home, you know, financial loss and hardship potentially, isolation, um, social restrictions, and um, even increased domestic abuse. So I think that really, um, like not pushing the ac academics totally to the side, but really thinking of that balance of usually between academic learning as, you know, the social and mental health piece of it, and really waiting more towards being like, very intentional and aware of the mental health pressures that our families have undergone, and really even considering the family even more so as an extension of our learning communities and bringing them even closer in and supporting our families as well. Um, thinking potentially in a blended environment, you may want that continuity between the classroom and home and thinking how can you provide clarity to families um, with what the students are needing to be doing? How can you get to know your families and really um, bring them into your community um, more so than ever before? And as some of the districts that we're working with, um, they've already started to consider the challenges that schools and districts are going to experience. And so um, a, an educational psychologist, Aaron Block, who works with Jigsaw, has uh, worked collaboratively with the team and with the districts that we're supporting to develop a co-regulation series which is a series of short videos and bits and pieces of information, whether they be articles, um, leading questions for collaborative conversations around how as a staff are we going to best be prepared ourselves to be well in order to support students and their wellness as they return to school in the fall. So in some of those conversations that you've mentioned, I've heard the term three block UDL. Can you tell me a little bit about how that applies to this situation? The author, Jennifer Katz, has written a book called Ensouling Our Schools. And it is really, um, it's a book that really explains this three block universal design for learning, which includes um, the three areas of health, being a health promoting school, um, having inclusive principles and social emotional learning. So um, with that, um, what, has been discovered is this is a type of model that really reduces stress and anxiety for students and for teachers. And it, it provides an environment where students and teachers can really flourish and you can get at that learning because you know students need to be in a, a particular state in order to learn. So uh, that's a little bit about the three block universal design for for learning and I would give a strong shout out to that book in Souling Our Schools by Jennifer Katz as well. If you're interested in that, it's it's an amazing book. Given what we've learned in our conversations with partners and doing some professional reading, how would you approach thinking about reestablishing school and classroom cultures? Taking a collaborative approach to Re-establishing our classroom and school cultures will be key to moving into the fall. So really thinking about the processes, the procedures and structures that we already have established. And then as a layered um, approach of teams within our districts and schools, thinking about how each of those teams can support the re-establishment of cultures at each la layer within that district, from the classroom to the school to the district level. 
really being a curious about uh, the possibilities that we can explore as educators and as learners who are coming back to our classrooms or who might be learning online. And really thinking about the commonalities, once again, between what is familiar and what may be new to us. I really love how Lana said taking a curious um, approach to, to all of this. And, um, you know, like we've said, it's, it's overwhelming. We don't have any answers. We don't know what the possibilities are. But just, um, you know, stepping back and being curious about well, what could this possibly look like? You know, it's that process of exploration and, and seeing what's possible. And we've seen huge amounts of innovation from teachers and educators. It, it's been mind-blowing the things that have happened, but and continuing to take that curious approach and um, exploring. Talk about structures and processes, but we shift to a conversation about school and classroom culture. What do we mean by school and classroom culture? Well, as Michael Fullen has um, coined it, school culture is anything that encompasses the attitudes that we have as educators, as a learning community. It includes the values that we have within our school community, as well as those expected behaviors that are observable. So what do you see when you come through the front doors of a school? What are the things that you see on the walls? How do you see people interacting? What are the daily activities that both the staff and the students are engaged in? Those are all the wonderful things that really make up a school culture. And as that school culture is established, how does it trickle into the classroom setting? So what are the things that the teachers and edu educational assistants do with their teachers on a daily basis that really contributes to the positive culture of that classroom that students can come to experience that are going to happen within uh, their, their learning environment on a daily basis. So these are really the pieces that we feel are incredibly important for teachers and, and school leaders and district leaders to, to reestablish, to really think about and consider what do we need to do to, pre to best prepare our students and to support our families in understanding what it's going to look like as their children come back to school in the fall. Yeah, um, just um, jumping on to what you said there, Lana, um, you know, really solidifying within ourselves, what are our values as a school? What are our values as a classroom teacher? And how do we communicate that? How do we, how do we show and teach our values and our expectations to students and staff and, and the larger community? What, do, what does that actually look like? And that requires, you know, again, beginning with the end in mind and knowing where we're going. So really, really uh, clarifying within ourselves that this is what we believe. And I know Lana has spoken to um, the fact that maybe this is a good time to revisit what our school values are. And I would say as a classroom teacher, this is also a really good time to, um, you know, come back to your, what is your reason? What's your why for teaching? What's important to you? It sounds like when we talk about school and classroom culture, it's that overarching sense of positivity based on establishing those expectations and those routines and the communication structures and establishing those positive relationships. So how do you see relationships impacting this reentry? Relationships have to have to come first in everything. This really goes back to that three block universal design for learning. Well, 
where we are creating that environment of safety and trust so students can feel safe to take risks and they are they're safe to learn they're not in a state of anxiety always wondering about what's going to happen next so by providing them with that solid relationship that helps that helps build that they know that they can trust you um, our colleague barb pears often says um, you can't you have to have kids hearts before you can teach them and i i think she puts it so nicely because that is that really is why relationships have to come first kids have to feel safe cared for and respected and even more they they need to know that they are included as individuals and that it's okay for them to be who they are in a classroom they don't have to hide they're appreciated they're respected so um, when those conditions are present for kids and for adults then learning can happen and then creativity and growth and, and innovation can happen so um, even more than that are moving on to the families that we had talked about before you know thinking of what that might look like with our with our parents and our caregivers and our guardians but do they know that they are understood and respected and then how can we communicate clearly with them and make them feel safe to come with to us with their questions and concerns lana from the various <laughs> levels that you've worked at there's there's the notion of professional relationships at all of those levels and again, when we talk about mm -hmm. establishing school culture, we know that it's it's the people that in the building that are going to be the first models of that, for lack of a better description. How do you mm -hmm. think professional relationships are going to have to shift or be reestablished moving forward? Well, I've thought a lot about about this lately um, as we as as teams of, of professionals and and our colleagues we really have been physically distanced from one another for the last few months and um, i've done a lot of work over the years with with teams that i've led and um, it has been a key piece to establishing some common expectations some common values and creating those trusting relationships so that we can really tackle some pretty difficult um, situations that come our way as educators. And I think more than ever, it's going to be really crucial that we revisit the, the teams that we are working with. And so I've used a lot of Patrick Lanchoni's work, um, establishing really positive teams, talking about building trust amongst our team, team members. And I think that's something that we may want to consider as we're coming together as colleagues again, both now as we're being able to join in, join together in some of our physical school buildings um, and then moving into the fall. So what does that look to reestablish trust amongst our team members and and how can we be very cognizant about uh, establishing some opportunities for building those trusting relationships? as well as we know we're going to experience all kinds of challenges moving into the fall. So what does it mean for us to be able to have some constructive opportunities to discuss some really difficult topics and provide everyone an opportunity for their voice to be heard? And so these are two pieces that I think really in that continuum of developing a really strong working relationship amongst our, our colleagues is. Um, 
attending to some of those key pieces of developing and reestablishing a strong working and trusting uh, staff. I hear you both speak and I see the parallels between, you know, we're going to do this as teachers because it's what's right for kids, recognizing that if it's good for kids, it's going to be good for the adults too, in terms of those goals, those values, those structures, those expectations, and just coming back to that place of clarity. So as you think about that, what are some of the other things that people might want to consider as they're planning for school and classroom culture going into this sort of unknown fall? Well, many schools uh, have worked quite quite a bit in the past around their mission and vision and ensuring that the staff understand the school's vision, their mission, sharing that with their, their greater community. I think as um, some of our, our goals for the upcoming year may shift slightly, we may also have a slightly different vision for our school. And so that may be one piece that school leaders are going to have to revisit with their staffs as well, is what is their vision, short-term vision for the upcoming year? What are some of the commitments that we can actually attend to? So what can we as a staff actually uh, actualize? What What can we put in place that will be readily apparent to not only the other staff members, but to the students and to the greater community. So if parents are to come through the doors of the school, what are they, what actions are they going to see um, demonstrated by the staff? And then what do we value? So what are some of those key pieces, the priorities that we're going to focus on for the upcoming year? And again, I've heard different leaders uh, say we just need to over-communicate with all of our partners. So they're we need to look for every opportunity to actually share what our intentions are, what our vision is, what we're committing to, what we are valuing as we move forward in every possible way, using social media, um, print, uh, just sharing verbally with our staff members, but really over communicating uh, what our, our vision is for this upcoming year. From a classroom perspective, Kathleen, what would over communicating look like for a teacher? Um, From the classroom perspective, it would be maintaining clear communication with students, um, not just relying on an email message, but relying on that face-to-face contact, whether you're speaking to that student in person or through Google Meet, um, looking at many avenues of communication with students and ensuring understanding. Uh, For families, the same thing. Sending out um, email messages and phone calls, I think, are crucial to have that voice contact with parents if you're not able to see them in person. And just even I would consider creating a schedule for communication. Um, Maybe if it's a a weekly phone call to parents, having that set time set up where you are committed yourself to phoning those families and checking in with them, communicating classroom expectations classroom values, and then that's another avenue for building those relationships with families and getting to know what's going on in their context, which can help you differentiate your student learning. So we've talked through all of this about communicating the values and the structures and the expectations, and I think we're pretty clear on what a value is. I think we're pretty clear on what an expectation is, but what do we mean by structures and why are they important? Structures are really just organized periods of time for specific tasks 
and you can think of it like it provides a container for the learning. Um, it reduces anxiety um, by providing some predictability and some routine, and it's a framework for planning. So some examples are um, at the school level, some great team meetings. I'm sure Lana's got lots more ideas for this at the school level. Um, in your classroom, you might be thinking reader's workshop, morning meeting, morning advisory, closing meeting, math workshop, um, what it looks like um, in a small group. What are what does that structure look like? So by having these specific structures throughout your day, it provides a lot of predictability. Kids know what's coming up. You know what's coming up. It makes your planning a lot more efficient and it makes the learning more efficient for, for our students. As we're moving into the fall, I think uh, revisiting some of the structures that we typically have in place, uh, school leaders generally start planning for the upcoming school year well, well in advance. And so uh, really looking at the timetables, which may include both in-class and online learning. So that will include a, a unique dynamic. Um, how are teachers able to take any preparation time? What will the actual schedule of the school day look like? And really considering um, the structures of our staff meetings. So as we generally have some startup meetings at the beginning of the year, establishing the business um, that we all need to attend to, uh, I think we also need to look at our connectivity and wellness as a staff. So really uh, looking at possibly more frequent meetings um, and diverse, diverse approach to uh, supporting the variety of needs amongst our staff. So as a school leader, I might be considering uh, teachers and, and support staff that maybe need a few more touch points at the beginning of the year. And so will I want to set up some small group meetings amongst staff? Will I want to establish some individual connect time with staff on a weekly basis? So rather than really looking at it on a, a monthly basis or more of a you know intermittent um, meeting schedule, as a school leader, I might consider how many meetings must I have for different purposes each week. So they may really focus on uh, business or tasks that must be accomplished by what, whatever number of staff members during the week, but also also being mindful of the opportunity that you want to establish with your staff members to make sure that everyone is well. So those are a few of the approaches that I think I would take to um, really support as we're moving into the fall. So as I listen to you talk about the structures being the organized periods of time, and I listen to you talk about the expectations of basically it sounds like that's how we're going to use the time so they're very interconnected when we talk about these structures and we talk about these expectations how do we make it so that it, there's a clear understanding of these expectations so I think about planning for learning for example how do we get to place of of building in that collaborative time so that staff can plan and set those expectations for students. We support several districts who have established layers of teams. So those may include supporting all students and having that opportunity to reflect on individual student needs combined with the instructional strategies that teachers are, are supporting them with. So really being mindful of the, the, the type of team meetings that we're having in our schools. Uh, 
We support collaborative team meetings, as we said, um, including students who require more intensive needs and supports. So those might be considered in uh, intervention team meetings and being very mindful that they're scheduled on a regular basis for teachers to come together and to have the opportunity to discuss uh, the needs of those students and possible instructional strategies to support them with. Um, I think one other piece is that as we're moving into the new year, uh, really reflecting on the essential outcomes for all students. So uh, reviewing the programs of study and really determining what are the essential outcomes that we want to focus on, not only for the short term, but likely as we move throughout the entire upcoming year to ensure that students are uh, focusing on the outcomes that are necessary for them to understand uh, grade level content as they're moving moving forward. I would just like to um, mention a little bit about collaboration in those um, in the grade team meetings and the planning. And um, Jen, you mentioned the like the interrelationship between all of these elements, and I think that um, during these collaborative times, this is where the interrelationships is really apparent because we're seeing the structure of the great team meeting. We are um, having our, our values apparent in those meetings. We put kids first, we're solution focused, and we're valuing all these different perspectives. So for, um, in one district that we work with, we've seen some really powerful collaboration because we have members of a Cree language and culture team. We have counselors, there's EAs, teachers, administrators, there are all these people with really unique and powerful perspectives on students. And to see how an idea is presented and how it gets formed and shaped into, by being influenced by all these different perspectives to result in really powerful um, student learning activities. So I wanted to say that about the, the power of collaboration and how those structures support that because this happens in a weekly meeting and that's built right into the timetable. So you can see how the values and the relationships come into play there and the structures. As Kathleen had said that there are several uh, colleagues coming together to work collaboratively we also saw that they were really focusing on student engagement and created some amazing learning opportunities for students, both, uh, both in the home setting and as they are moving back into the fall, that it was really based on the creativity of students engaging some of their family members into their learning. So we see that as a possible opportunity moving into the fall where there's ongoing collaboration among staff members and really ensuring that students are accessing their creative skills to engage in their learning. So Lana had mentioned that, um, that teachers and staff have come up with some really creative, engaging ideas for students to, um, to do at home with, uh, you know, through the lens of really building family relationships and and that was a priority um part of these creative activities was it they were really focused around essential outcomes so um, teachers knew that not all their students were at grade level some were above some were below so in that case um, teachers were extra creative and they developed activities that um, could be accessed 
in many ways. This is just an example of a grade one choice board where the teachers um, designed activities that were accessible by different levels. That came about through teachers talking to each other and expressing their concerns to each other about the kind of activities that might be going home. So they had that trusting environment where they could communicate with each other and they supported each other on their planning and were willing to be flexible and change ideas. And I imagine that the creativity came out of not necessarily being able to access the supports that they would be used to in a school environment. So trying to make sure that those students had some support and success at home. So as we consider re-entry, what does accessing some of those supports look like? So I think our districts have a variety of both school level supports, district level supports, and community services and supports that are available. And a key piece of that is ongoing and frequent communication because we already have established some common supports for a variety of student needs. However, it's the opportunity for our educators to come together and discuss how they may be similar and how they may be uh, delivered in a slightly different fashion. So it could be online uh, delivery of some speech language therapy supports or our occupational therapy supports. So really thinking outside the box and collaborating with our partners proactively to support our, our students is a key piece of moving forward. As well as thinking about how our educational assistants may provide supports to possibly one or a variety of students within their classroom or across grade levels. So how can we maximize their time, their expertise, and um, the level of different types of approaching uh, the supports for students? So again, we've heard EAs working with parents uh, via telephone or uh, Zoom or Google Hangouts, as well as students now being invited into the classroom for some, some short-term supports as well. So thinking of that variety of ways that we can deliver a variety of educational opportunities for our students will be key moving into the fall. I like the way you discuss that idea of maximizing the EA time and skills. And I've seen some creative things happening around that from Sometimes a school has reassigned an EA to be with a family instead of with multiple students so that that ongoing relationship has built up. I've seen where an EA is now working with specific groups of students to build up some social skills while they're doing the academic skills. So it's really neat to see the ingenuity in trying to meet the needs of students. And I, I do hope that that continues as they move forward, like you said, trying to maximize what we can do for kids. So um, Lana was talking about how educational assistants could structure their time. Um, we have an example from a division that we worked with. In this division, every staff member was included and accounted for in this whole process of delivering student learning. Um, nobody was left to their own devices. Everybody was supported. 
So this is a Classroom EA weekly plan template. And this was designed in in combination with the classroom teacher because in this division, every teacher had at least one EA, sometimes two, sometimes three, depending on the complexity of their students. But this top section was completed weekly by the teacher. So the EAs have a list of students to connect with and that may be students those EAs are really close with or it could be students that the teacher felt or the EA felt needed some extra connection some extra support at home with keeping in mind families first relationships first and really huge focus on supporting families and supporting relationships and having a mind toward that. So then they had a message or some questions for the students when they were connecting and the teachers would put that in there. Um, if they wanted to know how they were doing or if they needed um, anything in particular, maybe they wanted to, maybe they were talking with the parents or the caregivers and finding out um, what the needs were in that situation. So that was a section for EAs to ask families. So the next thing is they had a scheduled time at least once a week where the EAs and the classroom teacher would meet together so they could collaborate on um, further actions for students who may have um, different needs and they could discuss um, plans and tasks. So the, the EAs and the teachers worked quite closely together. And then the teachers could assign additional tasks to the educational assistants. So following that, the bottom section was completed by the EA. So they schedule in their student connections throughout the week. Um, any additional tasks, and again, those are just moved from the top section and scheduled throughout um, the weekly timetable. And then their meetings are all linked in here. Um, because at this time they're doing Google Meet. On Friday, they had a meeting, which was Coffee Time Connect with Barb Pears, um, because she had designed a professional learning series for the educational assistants. So they were responsible for doing two modules a week and then attending the Coffee Time chat with Barb to chat about the material. And the bottom section is for additional notes. So if something comes up that they need to talk to, um, their team about they can put those there but this is just a way for the EA to organize their weekly planning. I think it's a great example of the collaboration and the intentional and purposeful nature of that the articulation of here's what I'm doing to support kids. Very much so and this flows throughout the organization right from the very um the very top levels of division leadership all the way down to the classroom EAs and it creates an organization where everybody is supported, the communication is clear. Um, the teachers also have a weekly planning document that is very similar to this as well as the principals. So everybody, there's a clear communication flow throughout and there's a structure given so the planning can take place. When we talk about professional learning plans, we're talking about teacher professional growth plans. We're talking about annual school plans that are focused on learning. So learning success plans, school advancement plans, every district has their own name. As you look at that idea of reestablishing those expectations and structures, and we talk about responsive environments, how do you see these shifting moving forward? Well, I'll use the example of a division that we have been working in 
which we had a uh, they had an idea laid out for what professional learning could look like moving forward. And this was uh, pre-COVID. So now that we're in this new environment, the needs have shifted. So um, it's looking at really being responsive to the upcoming needs, not throwing away the previous plan completely, but really being flexible and looking closely at what does our staff need? What do our students need at the time? And adjusting the plan um, to address student need, which in this case is focusing um, initially more on that um, the mental health of staff and students. So just like we're reconsidering our approach to reestablishing culture within our schools as we move into the fall, we also need to consider our approach to our professional learning plans. So um, as most years, we have pre-established what our learning plan is going to look like for the upcoming year. And that usually includes a variety of opportunities for our staff to engage in a variety of, of areas of focus that we have set as priorities. And also um, some of the traditional uh, ways that we're supporting our students through literacy, numeracy, and so forth, which is uh, all great. However, as we're approaching uh, a rather unique learning environment in the fall, it's going to be crucial that we reconsider uh, the type of opportunities that we're offering for our staff to engage in their learning. So we may offer more frequent opportunities rather than a full day, full day uh, PD session around a particular topic. We may consider using a variety of online um, platforms for more frequent opportunities for engaging in professional conversations. So we can not only look at the content that we're covering, but also the format and the frequency that we're supporting our staff in really engaging in some learning for the upcoming year. And also looking at what our students are really needing support with. And, and this may be an uh, entirely new area of exploration around um, how do we how do we support our students to be more creative? And also, I think another key area is how are we supporting the well-being, the mental health of both our staff and our students as we're moving into the fall. How do you envision there being a shift in plans that are focused on student learning needs and that accountability for academics? That's tough, Jen. So I know there's. Um really a lot of concern about academics right now but we also know that when students are in a state of high stress they aren't capable of learning we know that when students are coming in that we are definitely going to need to put mental health at the forefront and when students are in that state of um, anxiety or worry we know that their learning can't be fully expressed so really it's the same as any responsive teaching in my mind and it's meeting the student where they're at it's not saying that we're not attending to academics but we're recognizing that our students are maybe coming in in a difficult state and that we need to put that relationship first and we need to build trust with that student so we need to keep that in mind but that doesn't mean we need to push academics totally to the side. We just really need to put that mind on mental health and building those relationships, those strong structures 
and expectations to make our students feel safe and cared for. So I would think of it like the same as some students need some recovery time to get back to where they were at the end of June, say with their reading benchmark, I would say maybe more so. We do a benchmark assessment that it's really important to get to know our students um, at a bit deeper level than just a benchmark assessment and take that information to move their learning forward. Hey, what do I need to do to move my student forward as a reader? How can I make that happen with a mind on mental health? So Kathleen, you brought it back to the structures and expectations and responsive classroom environment. Does either of you have any commentary that you'd like to make here about moving forward? It's incredibly important for us to really consider the well-being of our staff as we move forward as well. So we as a educational staff have to be well and to be in a place where we can not only learn ourselves, but also um, be prepared to support the learning of our students in our classrooms. So really being mindful of frequent opportunities and check-ins with our staff to ensure that we are in a place of learning ourselves as educators and being prepared to support the learning of our students and the, and the well-being of our students in our classrooms. Lana and Kathleen, I so appreciate your learner-centered approach to this conversation knowing that even as the adults in the building, that we are learners along with our students as well. So thank you both so much for taking the time to talk about reestablishing the structures and expectations so that we can get back to responsive environments when we do find some new sense of normalcy in what education is going to look like. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jennifer.